This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. A recent European Commission ruling said that Apple owed the country of Ireland $14.5 billion in back taxes. The EU last week ordered Ireland to collect the taxes, and a meeting will occur tomorrow to take the next step in the process. Meanwhile, an investigation could occur in the near future about the tax structure of Ireland as the concerns of sweetheart deals that U.S. companies have been getting from entities in Europe over the last decade, last few decades. To look at this case here in the studio, Wharton Accounting Associate Professor Jennifer Bluen joins us. Johns Hopkins University professor Eric Jones joins us on the phone, along with Raymond Luya, who is a professor of comparative tax law at Maastricht University in the Netherlands. Jennifer, great to see you again. Thanks Likewise. for coming in. Thank you very Thank much. You. Eric, Raymond, great to have you both on the phone with us. Thank Thanks you. Let me join. Thank you. Good uh, to both of you. Jennifer, I guess let's start with how Apple kind of got this deal in the first place and why they were paying basically no tax, maybe a little bit of tax. Well, the structure that's in play here dates all the way back to, I would argue, the early 90s when Ireland was struggling and what they were trying to do was essentially attract new capital, new investment to the country of Ireland. And uh, at that point in time, they lowered their tax rate and um, they have a unique quasi-Irish type of legal entity (laughs) that basically allowed Apple to make the argument that um, although... They have people and um, activity going on in Ireland. The dominant uh, decision-making process and sort of the rights to the underlying intellectual property belonged outside of Ireland. And what was unique to the Apple case was they made the argument that these profits were actually stateless. They weren't generated anywhere, but with the board meeting that essentially happened on the phone lines between Cupertino, California and Cork, Ireland, and hence... They weren't reportable in Ireland. They weren't reportable in the U.S. And right. so they paid a very low state rate, or excuse me, a country rate. Uh, Eric and Raymond, uh, the, the ruling by the European Commission uh, to to force Ireland to collect the $14.5 billion in tax. Raymond, I'll start with you. Uh, just your reaction in general to, to what has gone on to this point. Uh, of course, we have the tendency to look at this as, as, a, as a tax matter. Uh, things like this have happened also with, with, with subsidies, not just with taxes, but having an amount of 13, million Euro, 13 billion euro or 45 billion euro in dollars. Um, of course, those amounts are massive. Whether they are correct, uh, that's something we cannot confirm yet since the decision is not yet published. But that's what the Commission has uh, come up with in its, in its calculations. Eric? Yeah, well, I, I see this as part of a, a general move by the institutions at the European level to, to look at different tax treatments across countries, right? I mean, we're, we're focusing on this because we're, we're American. We're focusing on this because it's Apple right. that's at stake. But it, within the European context, the real question is not so much Apple as Ireland and the ability of, of different countries to distort the tax regime in order to, to attract that investment because they want to have a kind of a level playing field. So they see this less as a, as a question of recouping money. The money, uh, oddly enough, is something that Ireland is, is kind of embarrassed about. It's less a question of recouping money and, and more of a question of leveling the playing field. It is interesting, Jennifer, we were uh, talking before we came in the studio here about the fact that this does kind of, again, highlight 
at times the dysfunction uh, of the European Union right now. And, and you know, it, you just mentioned you just came back from from being over in England for a year, uh, and and were there during the Brexit. So I mean, th- you know, this is all kind of kind of a, a, a gobbledygook right now. Well, what's fascinating is essentially you have this group of independent jurisdictions, right? They're sovereign nations, and they're trying to coordinate on very many levels. And and they have this uh, OECD's BEPS project that yeah. many of you may have heard of which was to essentially base erosion and profit shifting rights to sort of attack this activity. But the one thing they've never addressed is the fact that each jurisdiction has the ability to set their own tax laws and enforce them as they see fit. So this is essentially... The rest of uh, Europe saying, we don't like the Irish system. or w- In fact, as, f- as far as I can tell, they, they disagree with the allocation right. that uh, Ireland effectively blessed in the past. Any surprise that uh, the, the Treasury Department made its statements about how they're basically in support of Apple, thinking that this is a, an unfair decision by the European Commission. Any surprise in seeing that vocal support by the U.S. government uh, in this situation? From my perspective, not really. I mean, because essentially this is an issue that the argument's been made and, you know, Apple has testified in front of, you know, Congress as to its tax positions. And essentially, you know, that argument has been made is what they're doing is perfectly legal. So now this is sort of an after the fact. Well, we don't like it. And undoing is changing the, you know, sort of the rules of the game after the fact. Eric? I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, this is, from the U.S. perspective, this is really a question about predictability. If a, if a company goes in and negotiates a deal with the government, then the government is allowed to, you know, use that deal, not just not just for years and years, but, but for decades. Then it becomes a real source of unpredictability if you suddenly say, well, no, we're going to change the rules and, and, and try to level the playing field. That's the American perspective. From the European perspective, of course, they, they see this as having given an unfair advantage to transnational corporations from the get-go. But does this also, I would think it, it probably puts other companies, other U.S. companies doing business over in Europe right now, puts them on alert as to uh, watching this case, Raymond, and, and how this is all going to play out right now. Yes, and not just American companies, also European multinationals have the same issue where they are troubled with the past allocations, and they have to double-check whether what they agreed with their own governments was indeed correct. What's happening here, where we correct what has happened in the past, that's not new for those familiar with state aid rules. But, of course, this happening on this massive scale in the field of taxation, of course, draws a lot of attention from the U.S. How much, how much responsibility, Eric, does the government of Ireland deserve in this whole process? Well, I think, to be perfectly honest, I think it's unfair to to single out the government of Ireland. I mean, all these European governments have weird distortions in their tax regimes precisely because they have, they have sovereignty. I mean, I think if you were, if you were going to pin blame, um, they were trying to do this base erosion, profit shifting uh, mitigation before the Panama Papers scandal broke, but it was only after the Panama Papers scandal broke that it became a really salient issue. Yep. And the point you made about Europe seeming incompetent, well, this is Europe's attempt to show competence, right? So they're, they're actually responding to a highly salient political issue, and Ireland just happens to be in the crosshairs. And it's not the only country that is. I guess then the question is, I mean, this has been going on now for, you know, at least a couple of decades at this point. Is it is it just to the fact that it's reached almost a tipping point, Eric, that it needed to be addressed, as you said, because of the Panama Papers to a degree? 
It, it, precisely. But, and the tipping point is not a tipping point in financial terms. The tipping point right. is a tipping point in terms of popular perception. Uh, and, 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 you know, let's not forget, there's also a lot of newspaper reporting about the, the billions of dollars that large U.S. multinational corporations are holding offshore from the United States. Well, when yep. you talk to people in Brussels, they're like, how can we get some of that money? Because it may be that that <laughs> money was accrued through unfair tax practices. We are joined uh, on the phone by Eric Jones of Johns Hopkins University, Raymond Lua, who is with uh, Maastricht University in the Netherlands, and here in the studio, Jennifer Blowen, who is a Wharton uh, Accounting Associate Professor. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866, if you'd like to jump in and ask a question. Uh, Comments made last week by uh, one of the people on the commission, who actually was the competition commissioner, Margaret uh, Vestiger, she spoke to CNBC. I wanted you to, to listen to her comments from last week and, and get your reaction. This is the company who makes a lot of profits by selling wonderful products to European customers. And Apple have set up in ways that they themselves are completely, uh, of course, in their good right to do. But Ireland is not in their good right to give them tax benefit, which are selective only to this company. So she is focusing this really on Ireland and not so much on uh, on Apple as much, uh, Raymond. Yeah, but 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 that's one of the basic uh, elements of of state aid rules. You need to pinpoint benefit given to by one particular country to uh, a particular undertaking or a sector of industry. In this particular case, Ireland giving a benefit to Apple. So it has to have a focus on one member state and in this case, one particular country, a company. Jennifer, your reaction to the to the her comments. Well, I find it very, you know, following up essentially on Raymond's point is exactly, it's like this is an illegal state aid, so it has to be something that Ireland has arbitrarily done to benefit Apple that it's not giving to other jurisdictions. But we haven't seen the ruling yet, so it's not clear to me why, you know, any sort of, you know, this is essentially a transfer pricing issue, right? How do we allocate and how does Ireland agree to allocate profits between jurisdictions? And so her comment that, well, Ireland's doing it wrong, well, are they doing it wrong for everyone? Or right. if, and so, I mean, it, it's kind of a snowball effect. Does it, change it, does it change it at all if, in fact, they are doing it wrong, but doing it wrong for everybody? But if they're doing it wrong for everybody, then it's not clear it's back to this issue. Has they, have they unfairly provided a benefit to one particular company? Right. I mean, the issue is, is, is Ireland is, is very problematic for sort of fixing the tax planning issues in, in Europe because they, they have some pretty beneficial structures that sure. they've left in place. Yeah. And so this is why this is the only way that Europe can essentially go back and attack, at least, you know, that I'm aware of is on this illegal state aid. But if they are giving a lots of companies these sort of beneficial deals that have sort of the same economic underpinnings or that drive the decisions, it's unclear to me that this ruling will stand. Eric? Well, I think I, I think that's absolutely right. And, and the the commission now also has cases, uh, cases in Spain where they're where they're trying to establish the principle, and this is a principle that, that, that may be adopted by the European Court of Justice, that a market distortion in unfair state aid can also be uh, by, by firm type. So, so the case in Spain is, is about whether it's firms that do cross-border trade are unfairly advantaged over firms that, that operate only mm-hmm. domestically. If they can do this kind of a thing, then they might be able to save the, the Apple ruling 
uh, only <clears throat> on the principle that it may not be just Apple, but it's companies like Apple that right. are being unfairly advantaged. Ireland says they are concerned uh, about future investment and, and future growth. Uh, Eric, is, is that a valid concern in your mind? Absolutely. I mean, the Irish growth model over the last 20 years, and, and let's not forget, Ireland had a terrific growth before the onset of the financial crisis, and it's recovered quite strongly in the last uh, couple of years. But I, Irish growth model is predicated on attracting this foreign capital and the employment that it brings with it. Raymond, how about you? Of course, Ireland has its tax system set up, and it's one of the biggest drivers for the development of its economies in recent years. And uh, it's having its rulings re being reinvestigated will, of course, have an impact on the Apple industry. And not only Apple, but on the industry in Ireland as, as a whole. How much of an impact could it realistically be on their economy, Jennifer, of, uh, of loss of growth you know, in terms of companies not wanting to do business in Ireland as much, uh, if if by some chance that that they are forced, if Ireland does have to go through and collect this this back tax, I, as 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 the others implied, I think it's fairly significant. I mean, this is going to create a tremendous amount of uncertainty. So you have all the tech, right? The, what Ireland did was very overtly go after tech when a lot yeah. of other companies, or excuse me, other countries back in the early 90s were pursuing manufacturing. Right. I view Ireland as being sort of forward-looking, saying, here's the benefit. Right. They have real assets. They have real jobs with real people. And to the extent that they're no longer able to provide these sort of beneficial tax, you know, or provide the certainty that these beneficial tax arrangements are going to be, you know, um, respected, in, in Europe, then I think their growth is going to be mitigated. I mean, and, and I think that they've also, it's the issue of how much skilled labor, how much you're going to attract. Yeah. You know, that, you know, maybe they peaked out and maybe where's the next jurisdiction? I mean, it's essentially companies are smart, right? To the extent you have intangible capital, you're mobile. You right. can choose to go someplace exactly. else. Exactly. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. Here in the studio with Jennifer Bluen uh, of the Wharton School on the phone with Johns Hopkins University Professor Eric Jones, Raymond Lua, who is with uh, Maastricht University in the Netherlands. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, then I guess then I, I wanted to bring in the 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 issue with inversions, because it's interesting how the government, the U.S. government, kind of took this stance within the last several months about wanting to try and put a clamp down on inversions as much as, the, as they possibly could. Now you have this. It's almost like the two sides, the two government entities here are, I don't know, necessarily working in conjunction with one another. But it's, it's like playing, up, you know, trying to get to the middle of a football field from both ends at this point. Right. I mean, I think they're being, you know, obviously the U.S. is kind of upset because to the, well, think about this, the way the U.S. system works is every dollar of tax that Ireland gets is one dollar less that the U.S. will get eventually yeah. should these cash, these cash amounts come home. So essentially the U.S. government says, but we don't want you to leave the U.S. and quit playing or ta paying tax base here, but we don't want you to go over there. Right. You know, so it's kind of the same side, you know, it's, it's a, you know, same side of the coin in that both... Uh, governments, both across the ocean and here, are saying we want people to be paying their fair share. The problem is, is we just don't know what is that appropriate fair share? What is the right set of rules? To, right. You know, and if companies have said, but we're following everything that you've read, there is nothing that I've read so far that says Apple has be being behaving illegally or has done something wrong. 
right? And yeah. so they're following the letter of the law. You just have the governance, governments now competing, creating tremendous amounts of uncertainty. Raymond, I, I guess the, then the other question is, as Jennifer uh, alluded to earlier on, is the fact that you have so many different entities within the EU and the European Commission, and you have so many different ideas as to what in, you know, the individual country's tax policies should be. Uh, a lot of people would be saying, well, you're part of the EU. Let's put a, you know, a joint tax statement out there and get this done. But it's not as simple as just doing that, is it? No, there's, there's far too much resistance to do that and give up the, what remains of fiscal sovereignty with the EU member states. And even if we would be able to set up a similar tax base, there would still be a war going on in tax rates. So either you do it go all the way or you, you stick with things as they are right now and try to take care of a bit of more, let's say, exchange of information on who is taxing what, what agreements have been reached with rulings, and that's the second best they can do at the moment, because getting 28 member states or soon 27 to agree is something that's, I would say, wishful thinking. Eric? Well, I, I, I think I would agree with what Raymond just said, but I would, I, I would sort of pivot it slightly. I mean, we would have this problem whether or not the European Union existed, and the, the nice thing about the European Union is that it provides a framework where we can discuss these issues. These right. issues aren't going to go away, but, but, but we can identify them and we can make progress. And the, the Council has made considerable progress in the, in the battle against base erosion and profit shifting uh, over the course of the last few months. That, that doesn't resolve this, this unique claim, right? And it doesn't get us away from the, the competition and state aid rules. Uh, but it does suggest European integration is probably better to have than not to have, if you see what I mean. If you're an American company right now, Eric, and, and you see this going on, what's probably going through your mind right now in terms of your dealings overseas at this point? Well, I think, you know, the first thing you want to do is wait and see how the death settles on this. Because the, the, the fact that the competition commissioner has, has leveled this fine doesn't mean that the, the issue is resolved. And we know that Ireland is going to appeal and there's a lot of jurisprudence that's going to evolve as a consequence. The other thing is that you're going to beef up your offices in, in Brussels because you're going to have to pay attention both to what the competition commissioner is doing and to the legislation that's working its way through the council and the parliament. So there's there's a lot of reason to pay more attention to Europe if Europe can represent this kind of threat. Raymond? Uh, I, I agree there, and of course, but settling the dust may mean that we have to wait five to seven years before we have an answer, <laughs> and it's not just the 13 billion we're talking about. Think of interest costs, which can also uh, increase dramatically. So we're talking about, uh, I think, in dollars, we will may end up with 18 to 20 billion dollars in the end, if everything would stick. And that's, of course, the question. Uh, we don't know what's exactly in the ruling. That's a lot of dust settling for five to seven years. I mean, it's funny, I guess, Jennifer, that you know this obviously because it's Apple that's what draws the attention right off the bat. And the fact that this is a, an issue, and obviously with a lot of these uh, issues where you're talking about uh, multinational business and, and overseas business, it, there, there are a lot of you know, T's to be crossed and I's to be dotted in situations like this. But five to seven years, even that sounds like a lot of time to be able to try and, and kind of put this to bed. Oh, I agree completely. I mean, to the extent that... You know, I don't know enough about the, you know, sort of the um, appeals process and at what point do other companies begin to sort of have to say, well, this is a big uncertainty for us, right? Do, what do we disclose to shareholders? What do we start doing? Do we start reorganizing, yeah. right, sort of our existing tax structures? 
And remember, they're operating, you know, we, we, we end up focusing quite a bit on U.S. multinationals. And as was pointed out by one of the the other guests, is it's not just a U.S. multinational issue. Yeah. But we become focused on U.S. multinationals because we have the really high visibility, high IP companies, the Googles, the Amazons, right, right? the Apples of the folk uh, of, of the world. And so what ultimately, you know, these companies are going to have to do is essentially say, you know, we need to fix this problem. And I think that we've seen, you know, we have a, an election coming up and there's yeah. been a, a few recent proposals about some pretty significant shifts in the in the international tax regime, at least in the U.S. And there's also been some proposals discussed in the in the EU. And I mean, that's the kind of issue that's also overlaying this is yeah. you've got this existing that we existing framework that we know doesn't work very well right. because yeah. we're fighting as well as trying to make this pretty fundamental shift to something that will more fairly allocate taxation based on, say, where sales are located. So I think I think companies are going to sort of sit tight until this appeals, you know, works its way through the process. Do, do they realistically have the time? I mean, even with five to seven years to, I mean, they're, they're obviously going to be trying to do some things behind the scenes just to, to start to be prepared. But, you know, sitting and waiting for five years on a, on a, on a decision, in the, I, I don't see the McDonald's and the Amazons and the Googles of the world doing that. No, I mean, and what will happen is when they're going to open that, you know, new division, right, or that new product or that new, they're going to be some very serious thought processes about why, where else we should go, right? right? Where do we have more certainty as to the existing tax regime? Now, I think the U.S. legislators will say, well, that's here in the U.S., but I, <laughs> I completely disagree with that. Um, I, you know, I, I, I really, I think the, they're between a rock and a hard place at this point in time because there's just no clear path. Eric, what's your expectation of, of how this will play out? Well, I think, uh, you know, companies will have to adapt eventually, and, and at least some of the multinational corporations that I've talked to have already begun closing out units that were created specifically for, for tax reasons in order to reposition themselves fiscally internally so that they can avoid this kind of problem in the future. And the question is, you know, building on the, the salience of this issue in the public domain, to what extent we're going to start to see multinational corporations brand themselves as fair tax-paying companies because that might be uh, be a, a good thing in the european context that I, I i wouldn't surprise me one little bit because they need all the positive pr that they <laughs> that they can get at this point right absolutely but but you know let's not forget there are also a lot of multinational corporations that are that are headquartered in high tax jurisdictions and this creates an argument for them to to begin reducing their burden in those jurisdictions and, and reallocating profits to other parts of the the internal market so there may be some tax advantages for a few corporations in, in, in Europe along the way. Great to have you all with us today. Thank you very much, uh, Eric and, and Raymond, for joining us on the phone. Thank Bye. you for having us. Bye-bye. Thank you both. Jennifer, great to see you again. Thanks uh, for coming in the studio. Likewise. Greatly appreciate it. Appreciate it. Take care. Jennifer Bloen from the Wharton School, uh, Eric Jones from Johns Hopkins University, uh, Raymond Lua from uh, Maastricht University in the Netherlands, talking about the uh, Apple uh, tax bill case uh, over in Ireland. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.